Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, and, and I'm doing this now because we're just, what, two weeks, three weeks away from the Thanksgiving holiday when I know a lot of folks are going to be traveling. I have a new way for folks to, to share and get the word out about the Bloke and the Bird Show. Log into their family members' computers and sign them up? Well, see, that's it. Kind of. You know, get, get, you got to work with me here. I, I, because, I'm trying, you know, but mo- you're going in. And- you know, most of the folks who listen to the show, and I'm going to assume just about everybody who listens to the show, they're pretty tech savvy. And if they're traveling, odds are, because they are the tech savvy ones in the family, they are the ones that, when they go to their family members' homes, are going to be expected to do some tech support on the computers there. Okay. So why not, like you said, use that opportunity while you're on the computer fixing things to introduce them to the finest podcast on the internet produced by us? You know, I think that that may be a way to spread the message. I think that we will get a spike in subscribes followed by a spike in unsubscribes. (laughs) Um, But... The question I really have is, does anybody in our studio or our listening audience have the same T-shirt that you like to wear whenever we travel to family that says, I'm here because you broke something? I don't know. Possibly. Do you? (laughs) You'll have to report back on our Facebook page. Okay. So for our first story, we need to go back in time a little bit. A couple of weeks. We're using the Wayback Machine again. We can if you want, but we're, we're, we're going to go back to this moment. Second safety car of the race. Right on the track. That's why, look, there's someone walking on the side of the circuit. Somebody has managed to get inside the Armco barrier and is walking down the circuit. Would you believe it? So if you don't know what race that is, then you weren't paying attention. But that is Singapore. And someone climbed the fence and was walking as nice and calmly as day along the track yes a 27 a 27 year old british national with a name that honestly i'm not going to try and pronounce so i should do it huh (laughs) (laughs) probably couldn't do any any worse than what i could however we do have a follow-up to his situation so what is mr unpronounceable's follow-up well he has now uh pled guilty to committing a rash act and endangering driver safety and received as a result a uh, six-week sentence. However, that sentence was backdated to October 16th because he voluntarily spent a period in custody while on bail. Very interesting. I think that the U.S. needs to have more laws against rash acts. Yeah. I, I, I believe that that might be... A, a game changer in our legal system if we could have people ha- get to plead guilty to a rash act. So, you know, not only did he just wander out onto the track, but apparently he was taking he, – he took at least one picture while he was out there. I haven't seen the picture. Um, Sebastian Vettel, you know, besides the, the great mi- radio message we heard from him. There's a fan on the track. There's a fan on the track. You know, almost as good as the brave Russian. Well, I thought the brave <laughs> Russian was actually witty. Uh, there's a man on the track. It was a little like, what in the world? Yeah. Well, he said, you know, later on that uh, he saw him taking a picture and, and he he hoped it was a good one. At least he hoped it was in focus. 
So, you know, just to wrap that up, we've, we've got the, the last little bit here. What is this? There, just a man going for a stroll alongside the track. There, there, there is somewhere in the region of, what, 89,000 fans here this evening, and one of them has thought, you know what, I'll go for a walk on the track. lunacy a safety car it's coming out again here in singapore i'm not quite sure i believe what i just saw there martin one thing to have someone running down the track protesting another just to be casually sauntering alongside the the track yeah (laughs) utter lunacy yes i I thought that was a, a, a great description of it Yes. I just love the absolute indignance of it all. I can't believe what I'm seeing. <laughs> a man walking on the track. There are 89,000 <laughs> There are 89,000 fans. And one of them thought it was a good idea to go for a stroll. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I think Mr. Unpronounceable uh, might have a few. But loose. only six weeks in jail for it, in a Singaporean jail. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> okay, what's the? What do you think the over under is on translation? Like, what's the? What's the exchange rate on six weeks in Singapore jail versus six weeks in a UK jail versus six weeks in a US jail? You know, what would? How would you ex- do the the exchange? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how Singaporean jails relate to say. Chinese or Russian jails because six weeks in either of those that could be like equivalent to life in a western jail I mean that's true that's definitely true because six weeks they could probably have lost your paperwork by then and you might never get out true I mean we are talking about a serious bureaucracy and now I have eliminated my entire ability to go to China (laughs) so (laughs) All right, take that one off the list, hon. We're never making it to China. And that, that you know, the thing is, though, that race, the, the tickets tend to be kind of cheap. Well, I know. But Way to shoot that one down on us. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I couldn't not go for the bureaucracy joke. Bureaucracy, always funny. No, I think you're confusing that with farts. Never funny. <laughs> never. Anyway. Can we pull this back into outside the realm of the 12-year-old child? Uh, Away from the the utter lunacy? Well, your utter lunacy at that. (laughs) So FIA president Jean Todd has come out and said that he is sorry for the clash in the schedule between Formula One and Le Mans next year. I thought we were moving beyond lunacy. I don't know. Well, why? Because... The thought that people would much rather watch uh, an F1 race in Azerbaijan as opposed to the 24 hours of Le Mans? Well, okay. First, I think that it's lunacy to believe that that was accidental. And I think that's what Jean Todd is trying to say is that it's an accident, right? kind, Kind of. Keep in mind, when the calendar for next year was initially put out, they didn't have the full three week summer break. The revision to the summer break so that they brought back the break because the teams got really pissed off about it. That was what caused the shift that pushed Baku at the same time that Le Mans is going to be running. So it's Bernie's fault. 
Everything is Bernie's fault. Okay. Um. So what John, John Todd says is that, you know, organizing a calendar is a very tricky job because you have 21 races in Formula One, 10 races in Formula E, 10 races in World Endurance, and 14 World Championship rallies. To make one calendar without any conflict is not possible. But for, for Le Mans, I'm quite confident the start of the Grand Prix will be at midday and Le Mans will finish at 3 p.m. So that, you know, that's that's his compensation is that, well, you know, oh, so you, you can catch start, the finish for both. So you could start watching at <clears throat> noon and then since it's a two hour maximum, mm-hmm. you'd be able to watch the last hour of Le Mans. Correct. So you would get 124th of Le Mans. But... The bigger issue is, for starters, Nico Hulkenberg won't get to defend his win. True. And several teams are now looking, because there was talk that Hulkenberg, well, first off, Porsche wanted Hulkenberg to come back. Um, But there was also talk that one or two other teams may have been looking to entice some drivers to come across the fence and drive at Le Mans, and now that can't happen. Well... Okay, hence the reason I don't think that it was a coincidence. But the other piece is, if Le Mans wants to attract some F1 drivers, might I suggest that they look at some of the fantastic talent that's sitting in the reserve and training driver programs? Because if those guys could get over there, they may not be a Hulkenberg and not be a big name yet, but they would definitely be on the upswing. I don't know. I, I well, first off, the the reserve drivers they can't you can't do that. They've got to be free in case they're needed to drive. As for some of the drivers in GP2 and and those development folks, maybe, but they don't have the same level of expertise and I think that's the concern. I think WEC wants the experienced F1 drivers. Well, they could take and they some benefit of- from it. They could take some of the many ones that we have lost on our calendar because of various things that have happened. I would suggest maybe Kamui or Paul DeResta. Possibly. Yeah. Button may not be doing anything Kevin that weekend. Kevin Magnuson. Kevin Magnuson. I, I don't think Button will be doing anything that weekend. Honda's not looking like it's going to have an engine. Ouch. Ouch. Or, or as John Stewart would say, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I. It was a cheap shot, I know, but I had to take it. Alonso you know, could have another gust of wind, and you know, have to sit out a race or two. <laughs> and he does want to go into WEC. He has made it clear he wants to do that. Well. Wouldn't that be following his bud? It would be following Mark Weber, and I think it was last year. See, this year or last year, he was at the race and actually threw. It was either the 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 green flag to start the race or the checkered flag to end it. I don't remember which. Mm. So, by the way, speaking of Mr. Weber, okay, and I know I say this often, but I have to reiterate one more time. Have you seen a recent photo of Mark Weber? The fact that he no longer looks anorexic? <laughs> I think the man's gained at least 20 pounds, and he looks like he doesn't have a skull for a face anymore. 
Like well, his, his cheeks, cheeks aren't, aren't sunken. sunken. Yeah. Oh, the man looks actually good. Yeah. This is what F1 will do to you. It'll make you anorexic. No, it just seemed that way for him. A lot of the other drivers don't look that, that bad. I don't know. Have you looked at Button lately? I mean, try to look beyond the scruff. Um, he's looking a little gaunt. Now, he's also another one of the triathletes. Yes, and he is a very, very enthusiastic triathlete, and that may be some of it. And I think that that's part of, I mean, because so is Weber, and I think that that's part of some of that uber gaunt thing that goes mm-hmm. on is when they're in high training. But I remember um, DC talking about Hulkenberg because we always have this great conversation. Will Hulkenberg get a seat because he's so tall? He's six feet tall and he weighs, I think, 160 pounds. I don't know his specs. I haven't looked it up. Well, I thought that was what DC said. Now, I could be slightly off because he may have said it in kilos and I translated wrong, but I want to say that it was like 160. And when you think about a six foot tall man that's in the 160 range, he's not big. So if he's 160 pounds, that puts him at what? Four kilos? Is that, is that what that translation? That <laughs> about four kilos? I think it's four stone. Oh, okay. I forget how stone is 16 pounds. I have no clue. Yeah, that's that's my favorite is when they start measuring up. Oh, well, they're about, you know, 10 stone. And I'm like, how much is 10 stone? And three hands. and <laughs> Seriously, can one country have more me- um, measurement systems? Think about it. They use the metric system, the English system, and whatever that system is that has stones. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what system uses stones, but we don't. (laughs) All righty, moving on. Okay. I'm sorry. You didn't want to go on that tangent with me, did you? Not too far. Um, Well, remember we, Bernie and Nurburgring had that sloppy, messy, big, huge fight. Bernie wanted money. <laughs> Nurburgring said, um, you, you've taken all the money. Bernie said, give me more money. And, and Nurburgring said, you know what you can do with yourself? Oh, so high school. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, it turns out that Nurburgring may be trying to make up with Bernie a little bit. Definitely Apparently, high school. Apparently, they're in talks with Bernie about a return of F1 in 2017, which would be the normal rotation for them. Because next year they're supposed to go to Hockenheim, which would mean, based on the alternating thing, they would be back at Nürburgring in 2017. Okay, so I've got two questions. Let me guess. One is, where are they getting the money that they didn't have before from? Well, I'm assuming that since they saved the money for not having a German Grand Prix this year, they they have paid it forward (laughs) to 2017. I don't know. But my other thing is, am I right in remembering that the Nürburgring is broke? Well, that's... I, I don't completely understand the financial situation. It, it is in a lot of financial trouble. But what they, what the uh, CEO of, of the Nurburgring, Karsten Schumacher, I don't Any know. Any relation? I have no idea. However, what he said was that um, instead of Formula One, they had a WEC race, which was a success. So the question, I mean, they're obviously holding events there, and and yes, I know WEC costs a whole lot less than bernie's extortion fees but still 
<laughs> is that a sliding scale of race events? We have, you know, four guys and a couple of cars. Well, it, it's all part in of a the, drag race going all the way on one end of the scale to the burning extortion on the other end. It, it, it's all, you know, ties into the financial stylings of one Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> financial stylings. <laughs> I think hey, that's the you... best way to describe both his finances and probably VJ Malia's is financial <laughs> stylings. Can you dance to it? Uh, no, <laughs> but it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> You got to admit, the man's got his hands in more pockets than, uh, oh, most of the hookers in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have made Michael speechless. No, I just had nothing else to say other than, you know, there's talk of. Well, okay. Good news that there's talk of it going back to the Nurburgring. Hopefully they're sorting out their financial difficulties. And possibly taking a year off did save them some extortion fees that's helping them. The, the big question I have is this year off and, and a possibility of a return in 2017, is this a long-term deal or is it going to be another one of these one-offs and we'll see what happens whether the, whether or not they can host it again in 2019 and every other year we're going to be playing this will-they-won't-they they kind of game. For as long as Bernie is an extortionist, I think we're going to play Will They, Won't They for a bit. But keep in mind, CVC is uh, up for sale. They are. It depends on whether or not Bernie will continue to be involved if this deal actually happens. You know he's old. He is. But he's an evil genius, and I'm sure in the off-season, he spends his time in a suspended animation cryo-chamber to prolong this as long as possible. You mean you think he hangs out with Disney? Yes. I figured he was in an underwater volcano like all of the Bond villains. Well, he gets preserved, you know between evil takes well that would make sense and I, I mean explain he his could, wife he could be a, he could be part of specter and i won't rule that out completely but ernst well he's got hair though so he can't be ernst stavo blofeld no he cannot with the white cat and the gray suit <laughs> petting it but it's bad hair so maybe it's a toupee well could be maybe Maybe we have just uncovered the mystery. The mystery of the Eccleston? Yes. <laughs> if we ever see white fur on his black pants, we know. And you heard it here first. All righty. So once again, trying to get us back on the rails. <laughs> back again. <laughs> That's my job. Not going to stay there for very long, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> That's why you want me on this show. <laughs> In all honesty, for a test and development driver, yes. this has gotten an awful lot of press. But Susie Wolf has announced that the at the end of this season, she will be hanging up her helmet and will be retiring from autosport. Not just from Formula One, but from autosport in general. She'll be participating in the Race of Championships, uh, driving alongside David Cothard, representing Scotland, and that will be her last event. Wow. I think Button's in the race of championships, too. Champions. He might be. 
Um, I thought I read that he was announced too. It's possible. I believe one year even uh, Schumacher and Vettel drove side by side. I mean, it, it's it brings some big names to it. Excellent. Okay, so are you actually trying to ask why is Susie Wolf's retirement a big deal? In well. Again, for a test and development driver that it's gotten any notice at all is unusual. But, I mean, I know why. Okay. But it, but no. it's – I just wanted to point out that the, the amount of coverage that, that this has gotten has been on par with a non-championship winning mid-pack Formula One driver. Well, Yeah. Because it's Susie Wolf. Yeah. She's a a female Formula One driver who's been fairly outspoken that women belong in the sport. Yeah. And that the machinery of the car actually does level the playing field. And she's the, the first woman to actively participate in a Formula One race, or, or in a Formula One weekend, I should say. Right. In something like 30 years. Correct. Um. Part B, she's Toto's wife. Well, yeah. So it's all of those things. Now, do you want to know my my theory? Okay. I think she wants to have a baby. It's entirely possible. Because that's the only reason. I mean, other than the fact that I think she may lose her eligibility for a super license. I, I think that's some of it, too. I think that's a big one, too. I mean, she's not... In the, in the realm of Formula One driver age, and I've got to clarify that, in that realm, she is not young. Correct. And because of that, there is a window that is rapidly closing. And she has said, and, and we kind of talked about this after Australia also, the fact that Williams' reaction after uh, Australia with Valtteri's injury was to... A, leave the seat vacant, and then name Adrian Sutil into the reserve position and not her was a huge blow. And at that point, yeah, she and, and she says that after that, that was a time to take a step back and really look at what the future held. What, what was reality? And mm-hmm. I think that that's part of it too. Um, I was having a conversation this past week to take this whole thing about female drivers on a small tangent mm-hmm. um, about Formula One and, you know, men in the sport versus women in the sport. Have there ever been? And I made the comment that, you know, years and years ago when Formula One was still a baby sport, mm-hmm. but still the playboy sport, women actually regularly raced. Not regularly in Formula One, but they did in... Uh, a lot of the rallying championships and kick butt in a lot of the rallying <laughs> championships. But I believe that there were some women in Formula One in the like in the the ye old early days. I, I there wasn't I don't think that far back. There was the one in the seventies who ran like a race or two and, and did not exactly produce a very good showing. But I mean the thing is Women do have a place in motorsport, and I think that that's what Susie brought to the forefront because she 
because of her relationship with Toto, I think she got a lot more airtime than Carmen Jorda is going to get. I don't know about that. Huh. Only because of the, the amount of time that we have seen the random flash in the Lotus Garage of Carmen Jorda doing whatever the hell she does. She stands around a lot. Yeah. But it's a random flash in the Lotus Garage. It's not standing on the side of the pit lane talking to her. I have yet to see her talking. Susie is well-spoken. She is, and we don't know how often Carmen Jorda is ever behind the wheel of a car. Susie has driven. She drove in in the Young Driver tests before she was, uh, she drove in in the three practice sessions, I think, that she's done. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has actually been behind the wheel of a Formula One car. Carmen Jorda, I honestly think that that's pretty much her role is... Just stand here so that the cameras come down. <laughs> okay. She I could appe- not drive. She appears to be doing that job very well. <laughs> I could not drive an F1 car to attract the cameras to a team. I mean, if they need somebody to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I- I'm available to not drive an F1 car. Remember, Renault sa- or Lotus says that the feedback that she provides is extremely valuable. I could definitely provide feedback. Yeah. I'm not suggesting valuable feedback, but feedback. I would bet that the the amount of feedback that she provides on a race weekend to the team is probably on par with any feedback you would provide to the team on a race weekend. It really depends on whose garage I get to go hang out in. Oh, so some garages you'd provide less feedback? Like I'm... the Williams garage? <laughs> Why would I provide less feedback? Valtteri, in a... turn around. <laughs> Valtteri, turn around. <laughs> Valtteri, just stand there and look pretty. <laughs> Valtteri, can I get you anything? Which, by the way, really doesn't count as feedback. <laughs> busted (laughs) says the man that would follow claire williams around like a lap puppy and (laughs) can i get you something claire i I did not (laughs) can i just stand here next but i do not do that under the guise of providing any level of feedback whatsoever (laughs) just saying Uh uh-huh hey speaking of driver news okay (laughs) Um, should Red Bull actually field cars next year? You mean if they get an engine? Right. Um, they have announced that Daniel Kvyat will be returning. Okay. I he's actually he's, been driving really well. Lately. He has, and I've got to look at the points because I I want to know where he is. I heard a rumble, and, and I probably should have looked out looked before I had. Uh, oh, I don't know, started the show. <laughs> but I heard a rumble that he actually has more points right now and is higher in the standings than uh, Ricardo. Actually, I believe you are correct. Um, but he is, he's driving really, really well, and he almost podiumed. He did. He he almost got the podium in Mexico. Is podiumed a Yes, up? kind of. Can you do that? Okay. It works. Um, Which, you know, I think that brings us pretty well to... 
what you love talking about? Engines? Uh-huh. Okay, so I've been working on a research project for Red Bull. You don't know about Does this. Does it involve hamsters and rubber bands? <laughs> oh. No. No. I am not an engineer. There's no hamsters, no rubber bands. But I realized that they have an engine issue. So I've been surfing Craigslist for options for engines oh, for them. Okay. I have found so far a mid-80s Yugo that I believe the engine is is available but the body is in bad shape. Well, they don't need the body. See, that they've was my got, point. They, they've got a really good aerodynamic chassis, and all, so they just need to drop it in there, and they're good. And a 1976 Toyota Corolla. I suspect that both of those are going to be down on power. You think? <laughs> <laughs> but I think they can afford them. They, oh, they could afford a lot more than just that. I mean, this is Red Bull we're talking about. But they about. don't pay for their engines. Yes, but this so is... So I looked in the under 100 category. But, but, but again, this is Red Bull that we're talking about. If they really wanted to, they could walk down to the local Nissan dealership, place an order for a GTR, strip the engine out of it, and stick it in their car. Why have they not considered this? Probably because it doesn't meet the requirements of being a, a V6 turbo hybrid. Okay, so... Let's think of possible turbo hybrids that we could drop in the car. I mean, there's got to be somebody that's running something. I mean, could we get a Prius? Well, that'd be the thing. Can can you slap a turbo to the Prius engine? Yeah. If you could do that, they would meet the requirements. I don't know if they'd meet the 107%, but they'd meet the requirements. Anyway, so originally... You know, last month or a couple of weeks ago. That's originally. Yeah. Um, Dietrich Manischetz, the owner of Red Bull and Toro Rosso, said that the whole engine thing would be sorted out by the end of October. It had to be done. This was going to happen. And, of course, as we record this, we are in November, and Red Bull still doesn't have an engine. So he drew a line in the sand only to say, not that line, I'm going to draw another line in the sand. Yeah, he's decided to extend the deadline for a few more weeks. Uh, now the team has until the weekend of November 21st, which, you know, coincidentally is also the weekend of Abu Dhabi. Oh. To try and, you know, figure out what they're doing. There's been some rumors flying around. Um he still says that they're not. They're, they're, it's not going to be a Renault engine. We're, we're done with them. You're dead to us. <laughs> yeah, all of that. Um, I think you got some spit on your microphone. I might have, but that's why I've got the little spray shield thingy on here. Okay. Um, however, there's a rumor that while technically they might not run a Renault engine, it would be an unbranded Renault engine that you know Renault produced, but wouldn't have any. Renault stickers on it. Yeah. So what would that make Red Bull? The Red Bull unknown team? Would they have to put like a little paper bag? Oh, this is obscure. A paper bag over their engine category, uh, compartment? is the, the unknown, unknown engine. engine. Yeah. And like you, me, and like one other of our fans even recognizes that reference it's because he wasn't a very good comic <laughs> there is that <laughs> well there was a reason for the bag but anyway 
the issue with pushing this out, as we have discussed in the past, is if they don't go with a Renault engine, there are some significant modifications that need to be made to this chassis in order to accommodate the engine. And, you know, Christian Horner has now come out and said that they are right on the limit of being ready for the season as they continue to do the search. Um, with just, well, this was just before Mexico. We had about four weeks left in the season, or even better, 112 days from the first test of the 2017 season. 2016. That's it. A bit more than 112 <laughs> days to 2017. But 2016, yes, it would be 112 days. You're right. <laughs> I looked at the wrong thing. So do we get to start our countdown to 2016 season? No, not yet. We have to wait till the 2015. We have to get to the end. We we have to, you know, talk about our special moments from this season. Some of them might have had blossom in them. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We're gonna have a very special bloke in the bird. And then we can start our countdown, where folks sit there and they listen to the show and go, "Why are they not talking about Formula One?" Or in the case of some other folks, "Yay, they're not talking about (laughs) Formula One for a couple of weeks." We'll get to see if our numbers shift, and maybe we'll find out that nobody wants to listen to us talk about Formula One. Or the other way around is all of a sudden we get no no listeners for a couple of weeks. We'll see how that works. So, yeah, the, the question is, you know, when do they hit the point of no return, that they cannot produce something? Christian's response, which I, I think is kind of dumb, but he says that would be Melbourne of next year. That's their point of no return. That's what Christian Horner says is the point of no return for them. Now, he also says that, you know, we are working very hard to find a solution. And behind the scenes, there is an awful lot going on to achieve that. Somebody made him fresh coffee. Obviously, certain (laughs) obstacles are being placed in our way. Obstacles being placed in their way. I know, because it's never their fault. Yeah, But But when the time is right, we'll sit down with all of you in the media and tell you very clearly what we're doing. Duh. Okay, but wait a minute. Okay. I'm not confused. You're not not confused? Wait, wait. I'm not confused. (coughs) I'm not senile. I did not make this up in my head. Bernie said in Austin that this was sorted. No, he didn't say it in Austin. He said it. Before he said it in Japan, hang hang on. Let let me let us go back into our magical clips of sound. Take me a moment to pull it up here. Or wait, maybe it was Russia. Ah, yes, it was Russia where we heard this. I know you had a meeting this morning with Bernie. Uh, could you um, put any give us any information about what happened there? Well, the great thing is he, he says everything's sorted. The only problem is he hasn't told us what's sorted. So, um, so, so yeah, um, I'm a little in the dark as to, to what that solution may be. Okay, so Russia, Bernie said it was sorted. Uh-huh. We have had two races since then. It's no sorted. It's not. Unless it is and nobody's telling us. Well, see, that's the other question here is that as this uncertainty continues, Red Bull is a very big team with a lot of very experienced, successful personnel at it. 
all of these folks, should the engine deals fall apart, then become unemployed. And available. Right. For teams that have spaces and payroll. You know, like some of our teams, our favorite teams that pick up every single tech boss that can ever be released. So, you know, that's the question. At some point, if this does, you know, if there's no certainty, if this drags on, at some point, some of these folks have got to turn around and go, I can't be without a job. Wait. I have the conspiracy theory. Okay. I figured it out. Bernie said that it was sorted in Russia. Mm-hmm. We have not heard of any mass or any exodus exactly. of anybody from Red Bull in the past two races. Thus, it would seem that they know. Well, so, so wait. That's, well, I, I got comments from, from Christian Horner on this. Okay. What, is, what does Chris say? Specifically about this. He says that he's confident that all the key members of staff know what the situation is. Working for Red Bull is different from working for other teams. When we do something, we do it properly. We want to get ourselves in a, into a position where we can compete and race and have a bright future. That is specifically in response to being asked if there was a concern about an exodus from the team because of this. Okay, so that tells me that this is actually sorted. They've just not announced how it's sorted. So are you ready for my conspiracy theory? That it's a Renault engine and they haven't figured out how to give <coughs> Red Bull the out that they can say that they dumped Renault and still run a Renault engine. That is a possibility. Okay. That, that is a possibility. Okay. My theory has nothing to do with what actual engine they want. Okay. I think Red Bull's holding off on the announcement because we continue to get stir about it, which is good for their sponsors. And part B, and they owe their sponsors because they're not performing well. Part B is that it keeps turmoil and unrest across the pit lane. Because all True. the teams I are. I mean, there's a psychological piece there. All the teams are trying to figure out what's going on. And are they going to have Red Bull? Are they not going to have Red Bull to compete with next year? And is it, will it, won't it, whatever? And so that's my theory. Because we haven't heard of their tech boss going, you know, leaving the team or announcing something or whatnot, they know it's sorted, it's a done deal. The ink is already dry. Now they're just holding back on telling us. The, the only thing I have with that, the, the only issue I have with that, is that Red Bull as a team is known and they have a very strong reputation for accessibility and openness. And as a result, Red Bull gets a lot of press coverage. I mean, let's talk of the number of times, and, and this still staggers me that they do this, but the number of times while the race is going on in a high-pressure situation and BBC goes, and let's go talk to Christian Horner from the pit wall. You know, this is a team that is known for throwing open the doors of their garage and everything else when Ferrari will lock everybody out and invite everybody in. It is typically their hospitality where the press hangs out because they're invited in. Well, I'm not arguing all of that. 
but they're also a cold calculating team. Yeah, definitely. So it doesn't take rocket scientists to say, we're completely open, but everybody's got to play dumb to this question. But your job is secure. Everything's going forward. You know, you don't have anything to worry about. And keep in mind, the only mouthpiece from Red Bull that you're hearing from is either Christian Horner or Dietrich Manischewitz. Yeah. We never hear from their tech boss or their this guy or their that guy. Well, occasionally you hear from Adrian Newey, but now that Adrian Newey isn't a full-time employee of the team, oh, he's designing we don't see him. Right. But Adrian Newey was the, the other person that we would see quite a bit. But unlike... You know, the number of people that we talk to at Williams or the number of people that we talk to at Mercedes mm-hmm. or even the number of people that you talk to at Force India, whatever that's going to become. What was the new name of that one? Johnny Walker Aston Martin Racing is my prediction. Johnny Martin Aston Walker. Okay, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Top ground gear force. Yeah. <laughs> you are welcome. Um. You know, we hear from a bunch of people over there, too. It's, it is not, it is highly unusual in comparison that we only get interviews with the very, very few at Red Bull as opposed to the other garages where you have a lot more access to more people. Yeah. More points of people leaking information. Okay. That's my conspiracy theory. Hey, while we're on the topic of Red Bull. Okay. So Daniel Ricardo has come out and uh, hinted that he might be interested in a shifting to NASCAR when he's finished with Formula One. Is he tired of right-hand turns? Maybe. Maybe, you know. He only wants to go left. He only wants to go left. Elevation changes are challenging to him. <laughs> anyway. So he was invited to try uh, one of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s cars in the second-tier Xfinity series. Ah. Um, Earnhardt tweeted out to Daniel Ricciardo that he has an open any, an open invite to drive uh, a JR Motorsports car on a road course at any time. I forget that they do do some road courses where I think they make left and right hand turns they do and one of them is not far away over at mid-ohio watkins glen is another one i could give daniel ricardo some feedback too well you know he tweeted back that he is uh looking at the 2016 calendar asap so i mention this because two of the xfinity series road course rounds one at watkins glen and the other at mid-ohio um, happened to fall during the F1 summer break next year. Ooh. Yes. So specifically when he was asked if he would like to try NASCAR in the future, he said down the track it would be cool. I like America a lot, so to live in America and race post-F1 could be interesting. I'd have to practice. In a tin top, I'd be pretty hopeless. <laughs> I could give him feedback. Yes, I'm sure you could. Go faster. Turn around. Would you like a drink? <laughs> Just stand there and smile. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the uniquely cut facial hair needs to go. He only does that for Austin. Well, he does it primarily for Austin. Okay, he does it for Austin, <clears throat> but if he's going to come and live in America, 
maybe that's what he thinks that we like. And I could correct him on that and explain. All right. And then he could just talk to me in his Aussie accent and I'll be happy. Hey, speaking of screwy hair. <laughs> We've talked about Bernie. We've talked about Ricardo's facial hair. We're not talking about Trump. So who's left in screwy hair? Well, Lewis Hamilton says he expects <laughs> to finish his career with Mercedes. <laughs> you didn't see that Bonus coming? points. No, you that came that in coming? my blind spot. Totally. <laughs> you win. <laughs> anyway, Lewis Hamilton says he expects to finish his career with Mercedes and will probably only compete for another seven years. Well, that would put him at 37, because isn't he 30 this year? Yeah, he's 30 this year. Um, now, he had been linked to a deal with a deal to move to Ferrari, but since signing the new uh, three-year deal with Mercedes, that takes him to 2018. He said he honestly can't see himself anywhere else. Uh, he imagines beyond this three-year deal, there could be one more contract of three or four years, and that would be it for him. So doing the math, Okay, he would be retiring from the sport at 2022, just like you said, at 37. That would give him the opportunity for a maximum of 10 titles. Well, that would be three more than Schumacher. There you go. So that that would be three wiggle room because he can't win the next 10. He can't win the next seven years straight. It's doubtful. You can't say he, he it won't happen, but it is highly doubtful that Mercedes will retain their dominance. Just like I think at this point, it is highly doubtful that Nico Rosberg will win a world championship at Mercedes. Right. There I said it. Well, I think you're right I, I, I on Nico's side, but— I thought, I thought going into this year he had a fighting chance, and I don't think so anymore. Do you know the stats off the top of your head of how many Schumacher won in a row? Was he five in a row? You know, you have the book sitting right next to you. I believe it was four, though. It was either four or five. I'm just wondering who holds the most in a row record. Probably Schumacher. There's only been three that have won four titles, period. So it, I'm guessing it would be Schumacher. He did five in a row. There you go. From 2000 to 2004, he won all of the, the championships. So, moving on. You know, last week we had the return... And I'm not going to say it, but we did have the return of the Mexican Grand Prix after some number of years. You want to know how many? Go listen to NBC Sports. They'll tell you over and over again. Yes, it came back to Mexico. It was an interesting race, wasn't it? You know, I, I got to say, the the race itself was, was okay. It, there, there was some, some moments, but overall, it, it was... It was a decent race. It wasn't a boring race. It was not like Russia last year. No. It, it was a decent race. But what truly made it, and, and 
again, I will admit that when I first saw the layout and the pictures of the construction, I thought it was kind of a hokey idea. But I think what truly made that venue was that stadium section. And the visuals, especially the in-car visuals, which, by the way, I think most of the time that NBC Sports showed them, it was an itty-bitty little screen when they went off to commercial. <laughs> but the visuals from the in-car of the cars entering and transiting through that stadium section were pro- I think they were probably on par with the visuals of the overhead shots of Singapore at night. Wow. It really was incredibly impressive, those visuals. Between that and the podium ceremony itself, putting that right out there where the biggest concentration of fans are, as opposed to on the start-finish rate, which it makes sense. And again, the unique layout of that track with the stadium section basically butting up against the pits meant it really wasn't inconvenient to put it there. But putting all of that right in that biggest concentration of fans was brilliant. Oh, I think that that was a really cool thing. What was not brilliant was the sombreros. I am sombrero opposed. (laughs) I will will come out and say I am sombrero opposed. I'm not opposed to the silly hats. I'm not. But sombreros are very big. And it looked weird that they had to be so far apart to accommodate their hats. Give them a little extra breathing room, which, you know, Nico and Lewis might need right now. Well, they got sent to their separate corners, I'm quite sure. Yeah. um, It was, in, in all honesty, if Nico drove like this throughout the season, he might have had a chance. I know. He did. He did, he did, drove a good, good race. And I think one one of the signs that we had that this was a different race for Nico is especially the first half of the season, Nico was doing a lot of talking to his pit wall and trying to get them to give him information. Mm-hmm. And instead, we heard this from Nico. So, Captain Lewis is... Uh, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. That was really unusual to hear that from Nico. For him to tell his, well, I I think it's the same engineer, but for him to tell his race engineer not to talk to him. Yeah. I was pretty impressed, but especially not to give him any stats to, to Lewis. I think that part of him finally understanding that Lewis gets in his head and he needs to get, he needs to break that. And I think that that was part of what that meant is I don't need to hear the gap to Lewis. I don't, I'm not racing Lewis. I'm racing this track. I'm racing everyone on this track. And well, not just that, but also the fact that he can see it on his wheel. True. I mean, he, he gets a time to the car in front and the car in back on his wheel, as well as the difference in his lap times. He doesn't need to get it radio to him, despite the fact that he likes to go and have that chatter, and, and we hear him ask for it so many times that they've got to tell him to shut up. I know. Well, he's asking for information he can't can't necessarily get, yeah. too. Um, but, yeah, he drove a different race. Now, in sharp contrast, there was a statistic that occurred in Mexico that hasn't occurred in something like 30-something years. 
Okay. Which one was this? Ferrari double non-finish. That's true. It, well, it wasn't 30 years. I, I think it was like 16 years. It was a very long time. Sebastian Vettel had... I don't think we have ever... Since, since we have been watching Formula One, I don't think we have ever seen Sebastian Vettel struggle like he did here. Oh, seriously. He did, you know, right at the start at turn one, he got into a tangle with Daniel Ricciardo, uh, which resulted in a puncture. It was a slow puncture. Initially, Vettel came out and slammed Ricciardo over. And, you know, he didn't know why he was there. There was nothing to gain. It wasn't. He then came out later in the week and said, you know, when I actually saw the video, I thought I had given him a lot more room than I did, and this was my fault. Yeah. He admitted that it was. But because of that and, and him falling so far behind, he then did something else that we have really never seen him do, and he overdrove the car and pushed a lot harder than we have seen. I mean, he pushed the car harder than, than it could handle. Oh, yeah. And we have never seen him do that kind of A lot of unforced errors, which ultimately ended up in him spinning out and, and ending up in the wall. I think he had, like, two or three unforced errors easily yeah i mean he had a very bad weekend the the other thing and it ties into i think some of seb's struggles and 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 his spinning out and this is something that we had heard to a lesser extent when we went to austin the first time we heard it to a lesser extent when we went to russia for the first time and that was the condition of the track itself the brand new asphalt and the poor traction that the cars had Mm -hmm. you know we heard him complaining in austin we heard him complaining in russia and it really didn't i don't think it had much of an impact well the russia the first year they had also taken uh tires that were too hard so the combination of the slippy track with the too hard tires didn't seem to cause any issues because they had too hard tires well they they had harder tires this year and pirelli said that these were conservative choices and this is next year not what they would go with but we saw a whole lot more sliding mm-hmm. during the race than I think we have seen at the other two races in their inaugural years. Oh, yeah. Now, some of that is, I believe, this track went down two weeks ago or three weeks ago was when the last coat of asphalt went down. Well, that was part of it. But the other thing that they're contending with in Mexico that they don't contend with at any other track is some altitude. Yeah. And one of the things that they were realizing is that with the thinner air they don't get the downforce that they true they are expecting those cars are designed for a certain atmospheric pressure yes and you never think about how fine that that pivot point really is i mean in essence we had a weekend of watching the cars all get altitude sickness kind of yeah a little spinny dizzy trippy thing but the tires were still a concern. And some tire strategy, which ultimately ended up with um, giving, I, you know, I don't even know how to describe the controversy that happened. Let's just start with a radio call to Lewis that kind of changed things. Okay. We are going to convert to plan B. We're converting to plan B. Let us know if you need a flap adjust. So basically, this was, and where this came in at this point, Lewis was was uh, in the lead because Nico had just pitted, mm-hmm. 
And Lewis kind of took that as my tires feel good. I'm doing great. Game on. You know, I, I now have a fighting chance. So he then radioed back with this. Bono, you need to check his tires. My tires feel good. So Lewis, we were down to zero on the first set. We have to go longer on this set. We will be down to zero, if not worse. So this is boxing end of this lap instruction. And actually, there was one other message just before it where he was asking why this was happening. And I said, the, the tires were down to zero. You stay out there. We're going to be down the canvas. You can't make it. And, yeah, as you heard, the tires feel good. He didn't want to come in. Arguably, that he could have stayed out. Perez did it. Now, Perez is known for, for conserving his tires. But what Mercedes was doing. And what the logic happened, and when Lewis radioed in here, he actually left the, the pit crew out in the pit. They were waiting for him, and he blew past the pit lane the first time. When, when this call came in, he finally came, or, or went out, he finally came in. But what the team was doing is they looked at the, the gap between him and at the time, well, both cars, and at the time, Kvyat, and decided that they had enough time that they could safely make the pit stop, and in case there was a safety car, they could turn around and they had fresh tires and they could fight off the rest of the pack. Mm -hmm. That that and ultimately that's what ended up happening. Lewis came in, Seb spun out, cleaned up the mess he made. It was really kind of sad, actually. <laughs> Seb going and picking up the bits and pieces from his car and dropping it. That would, <laughs> let's see, you know it was a bad day when you're doing that. But that brought Don't out the safety up car. Your own mess. Yeah. But that brought out the safety car while also, you know, giving Nico the chance to get ahead of Lewis because Lewis was in the pits. Mm -hmm. And there's the question of if Lewis had stayed out on the older tires with Nico on the fresh tires after the safety car, could Nico or, or could Lewis have held off Nico? We'll never know. True. That's the reality is. We will never know whether or not he could have done that. And it's armchair quarterbacking at this point. It is. Lewis has come out, and, and he didn't agree. He still, I don't think, doesn't agree with the call. But he's come out, and he has said that um, the team, since he has won the world championship, the team has kind of changed their attitude toward Nico. It's the best way to describe it. So I think, you know, he, well, he's basically making that accusation that the team is now helping Nico since Lewis is all set for the year. And that's pissing Lewis off. And I can see that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that the situation is much more about setting Nico up to make sure that we keep, we don't let Vettel before Vettel was spinning out, the the concern would be, would Vettel be able to have taken second? Um, yeah. And, and that's the concern. And Mercedes as a team should definitely be thinking about that. It's not something Lewis has to care about. But as a team, that's something that Mercedes should be thinking about. And But they A, they need to communicate that to, to Lewis. Mm -hmm. The the other thing that was a little curious, and you haven't seen this video because we watched it live on NBC Sports and haven't had a chance to really sit down and listen to the BB and watch the BBC coverage. But post race, 
Susie Perry and David Cothard went to the Mercedes garage and interviewed Nico. And as they're interviewing Nico, and they've done this before with Lewis many times, there's the celebration going in the background. The difference, though, was that the celebration as they were talking to Nico ramped up Mm. to the point that the engineers who were in the background started getting louder and louder and chanting Nico's name. Hmm. It was the that that South American ole 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 soccer chant followed by Nico Nico Nico, interesting and getting louder and louder and louder and it was actually disruptive to the interview, but we have the thing is we have never in all the times that we have seen Lewis being interviewed in the garage post race we have never seen that kind of reaction from the folks in the garage. They have never been loud and raucous and disruptive of whatever media Lewis was doing at the time. And well, it, it's you're odd. right, and it's odd, but there's, I mean, I think there were other, there's other factors. I mean, they won the inaugural race at Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got its own factor. Um. I do believe fervently that Mercedes is keeping an eye on the second and third race for the world championship, second and third place for the world championship. I think they have to. I think that by shifting the focus to Nico, which Lewis may be right, I think it's much more about keeping Vettel. Now, mind you, it's a non-issue at this point because he lost, you know, he's 25 points further back, but making sure that they keep that gap so that Nico stays second as opposed to letting, because Nico Vettel had picked up three points ahead of Nico with the last round, and that was that's disturbing. In Austin, yeah. And so they want to make sure that that's the gap, and so of course they're going to make sure that they get they're they've already got one. Now let's make sure that we get two. So I think there's some of that. And as far as getting raucous and everything like that, Nico's been around those people a lot longer than Lewis has. He has, but he also hasn't won them world championships. He hasn't, but I think that, I think there was something to the fact that he drove a magical race too. Yeah. And I think that that affects things. He he drove a more aggressive race than we have seen him drive for most of the season. Even when he kept telling us just beat Lewis. Yeah, you, you, you could count on me. That, that was it. You can count on it. You Just can be count honest. On yeah. So, uh, Valtteri Bottas captured the last podium position after a, well, an incident that knocked uh, Raikkonen out of the race in something that was eerily reminiscent of what <laughs> happened in Russia a few weeks ago. <laughs> True. True. Um, the big difference was that it didn't take Valtteri out and it took uh, Kimi out. Um, there's still some bad blood going between the two of them. Yeah, I don't um, think the Finns are getting along. Yeah, un- unlike, say, the relationship between Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso, these guys aren't chumps. Nope. <laughs> no. But congratulations to Valtteri. I think he deserved third. I really do. And to our fourth place, Caveat. Uh, it looked like he was going to be on the podium. Well, you know, that's the other thing is as much as 
Red Bull has been pissing and moaning about the engines. They're still pretty well up, you know, now that the reliability is there, and these aren't the upgraded engines, as you recall. They're not coming until uh, we get to Brazil. Um, They're not doing half bad. They're not. And in fact, when you when you get down to separating the aero race versus the power race, mm-hmm. Red Bull has the aero race. They are faster in the corners and they're losing it on the straights. And I get that that's what's so frustrating about their engine issues. But when you get a good twisty track like this, yep, they that's when they can perform. So. And then Sergio Perez getting the hero's welcome. <laughs> truly. Truly. Um, and, and getting the opportunity. Well, apparently every time, basically every time that he got into the stadium section, the crowd was on its feet. And then having the, the opportunity to pass Car- Carlos Sainz, who was really just giving him a place, but doing it in the stadium section. <laughs> Yeah, a well placed a well placed pass. Truly, you know, from the pictures I saw, the 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 last couple of things I have on this race, from the pictures that I saw, I think that there is every possibility, and I'm going to throw this out to the Mexican fans in the off chance that any of them are listening. Well, odds are they're not, but from what I saw, I think that the fan engagement and involvement and enthusiasm has the potential to be as amazing and as fascinating as what we see in Japan. The number of folks who are in the stands with some version of the luchador masks, and apparently at some point Nigel Mansell was spotted in a Red Bull uh, garage wearing a Red Bull-themed luchador mask, which apparently was very scary. (laughs) (laughs) That that does sound scary. But that kind of culture could definitely spill to, you know, that same kind of um, atmosphere that you get in Japan with the fans and the costumes and all of that stuff. Well, I would hope that they could expand their headgear like Japan has. Japan (laughs) does have the best headgear of any fan set. Luchador mass with DRS. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Now, the last bit is apparently uh, Lewis Hamilton came out and went to Pirelli and said, hey, this track is so slippy that next year you should do a very special tire, super grippy, just for this track. Really? Pirelli said, go away. Okay. (laughs) Now, Pirelli is auditioning a new tire that's going to be in testing right after Abu Dhabi. Yeah, Pirelli got a 12-hour tire test. Yes. Um, It is optional for the teams to participate, but they do want race drivers as opposed to test and development drivers. Um, There is no aero testing that is to be done. It is specifically a tire test. Mm -hmm. Um, And Pirelli got some other opportunities to test tires. But next year, apparently, there will be an ultra super soft tire extra plush i i I believe it's going to be the snuggle bear tire i'm not sure but yeah snuggle bear tire how much ultra super extra soft can you make it i mean well have you seen the charmin bear 
it's the snuggle fabric softener type. well there's a, snug, a snuggle bear but have you seen the charmin bear you know yeah that one has to choose between the ultra soft or ultra strong toilet paper mr whipple tires that's what they're going to be i am just the, banging mr. the 70s but, references but wait, right now it, it's the mr whipple tires with adam savage squeezing them there's your 70s reference and if you don't know what i'm talking about go check out youtube because it turns out that in one of the commercials adam savage was the kid squeezing the the charmin and getting yelled at by mr whipple yes a young mr savage yes yes okay you you took my 70s reference and added a 70s reference to it um i went even more obscure i know i know but this is the the show of the 70s references yeah um do you have anything else tonight that is it that is my entire list any more obscure 70s references that we can pull out of nowhere you know, it's a little hard as you're trying to wrap up a podcast and tell people where they can listen and all that stuff to make 70s references since the <laughs> internet was just known as the DARPANET in between a couple of colleges and, and you know, maybe ran on Whopper somewhere. 80s reference. <laughs> I mean, had Al Gore invented the internet yet in the 70s? Possibly. Anyway. Anyway. Did you have anything else? I have nothing. All righty. Well, on all of that useless <laughs> note, we will pull it back on the rails briefly to just remind you all that you can always find the show over in iTunes. Leave us a review and tell us what you think of us. Comment on the show over at Facebook, over on Facebook at the Bloke and the Birds page, or over at theblokeandabird.com. And of course, you can also find us over on Stitcher. Yes. Now, if we offered listener points which we do not i would give out bonus points for your best 70s reference that is somehow related to formula one or just yes. random well that fits in with the show somehow because you can make 70s references about formula one you just have to know who raced in the 70s but it can't be a formula one reference it has to be a tie in with the 70s to what we talked about today and on that note. So, so in other words, this show stayed on the rails like James Hunt stayed on the track? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, like James <laughs> Hunt stayed on the wagon. That too. All righty. <laughs> and on that, we'll call it a show. <laughs>